Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Dr. John, and I am thrilled to announce that Jory and I are opening up our retreat in beautiful Costa Rica from September 28th of 2024 to October 5th. Everyone wants fulfilling relationships. The hard part is love is not enough. So many factors can get in the way preventing ongoing connection, intimacy, and aligned growth. All healthy relationships start within. But when we have unresolved stuff, it can easily interfere with those we are seeking to be closest with. Whether you're in a long-term committed partnership or are single and are looking for love, this retreat will guide you in the heroic journey of healing yourself so that you can be open and available to cultivate the fulfilling relationships you desire and deserve. To find out more, visit joryrose.com slash retreats. That's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E dot com slash retreats. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with the Evolved Caveman podcast. And today I am excited to have with me the guy with the coolest last, last name in all of uh, mental health and well-being, Chris Sirock. And Chris has been practicing meditation since 2015. He came to it because all the things society says lead to happiness didn't for him. Chasing outcome after outcome left him feeling empty and burnt out, and he sought a better way to live life. So after exploring many forms of meditation, he settled on what he found to be the most effective method of getting to the root of our mind's conditioned reactivity. His book, BU, The Journey of Self-Realization, lays the foundation for his courses in teaching. And he has studied with and learned from many of the luminaries of our time, including Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, Dr. Brian Weiss, Joseph Campbell, Marianne Williamson's A Course in Miracles, and many others. Chris, how are you? Welcome. Dr. John, I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me here. That is, A Course in Miracles is Marianne Williamson, right? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a series of writings that were channeled uh, back in the 70s by some university graduate students. And, but she's oh. kind of taken it under her wing and really um, made it a foundation of a lot of oh, what she talks about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me your story and how you began working in mindfulness and meditation. Mm. Well, the story, I guess, is my life uh, brought me here <laughs> like it does for everyone. And um, like you just said in the intro, I, I essentially I was on paper doing everything right. Uh, I had a great work-life balance and uh, really passionate about my career, passionate about other things like sports. What, and What and was music. your career? It was in user experience design. So I was, okay. yeah, UX is the thing. Like, okay. I, I would call it GUI. Is that, does that apply the GUI graphic user interface? Uh, so that, uh, that applies to, you know, creating an interface for more complex systems that are, is more visual in nature, mm-hmm. a GUI and, uh, it's, it's in the same realm. So you're, okay. you're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, d- designing, you know, everything from ticketing experiences to car dashboards, to remote controls, to apps left and right. Um, you know, everything we use in our daily life now and, um, to stay in touch, social media platforms, all of that good stuff. And that really exposed me to all kinds of industries and, um, you know, the psychology of, uh, the consumer and, and end user unmet needs and all that. So 
very passionate about that area. And, and I was, you know, it never gets old. It's always evolving, a lot of technology and, and uh, like I said, psychology and, and, and design. And I taught at UCLA for 10 years and I was just really, you know, in a good spot. Uh, it was a long-term relationship. Everything was, it was just perfect, you would say. And, um, and I think that's when really, you know, you could call it midlife crisis or something hits. And what is that ultimately? It was uh, just the continued nurturing of the external, meaning outcomes and accomplishments and, and just kind of being focused on, on the next thing and the next thing. It slow, slowly started to, you know, wear on you is maybe not the right word, but it, something starts creeping up, the sense that there must be more to life than this. And I think the big difference is it hits everyone. I see it in my friends sooner or later. I, I, right now in my practice, I see it in a lot of early 30s. Uh, so it's happening sooner and sooner. It's more like a one-third life crisis or even quarter yeah. life crisis. Right? But uh, I think the difference with me was I, I listened. I took the time to kind of step away from things and really see what's going on. And that's really when I started to unfold and uh, things shifted for me in a big way, as opposed to which I see a lot of people do. And you can't blame them, but they kind of, you know, numb out and um, go back to work the next day and, and, and just push it away. But, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll rear its head sooner or later again. So the, the sooner we start listening, the better. Yeah, I think all of us are looking for meaning and happiness. And I, I'm seeing it earlier and earlier in the generations these days. Like I, the younger generations want meaningful work, for example. And, and I think you're right that we all get to that point in life where we're like, what's the point of the hamster wheel? Exactly. Because that's what it feels like. Yeah, it is a hamster wheel. If we're not doing things in an engaged, conscious way, if we're always kind of living for the next uh, accomplishment, next goal, next outcome, next deadline, which is, you know, a lot of the working life is structured that way. Um, then we won't find the the connection to our true essence, which is our awareness of things. Doesn't mean we have to quit our job, move to a, a remote island. You know, it just becomes means becoming more aware. Mindfulness is just doing things more mindfully, more with more consciousness, with more awareness. And in that awareness, it pulls you into you know the present moment and. Um, you, your awareness is the container of your thoughts and your feelings. So you're no longer attached and identified with your thoughts and feelings so much, which is what leads to kind of a, a roller coaster experience of life, but rather you're more of a calm presence. And in that calm presence of, of everything happening, you start to uh, see more perspectives. Um, you see opportunities you would otherwise not see if you're just kind of focused on how you expect things to happen. And uh, you start to feel yourself as part of a, a greater current, the greater unfolding of life. And really, that's where um, magic starts to happen and, and things you can't quote unquote uh, predict or expect, which is the whole point. <laughs> if we're expecting or predicting something, then we're kind of, it's a boring kind of stale experience because we just want things to happen that we want things what want to have happen, which ultimately is a, a being in a state of resistance because things always happen differently. So yeah. coming out of that resistance, I think is, is key to really, uh, seeing things from many different perspectives, holding everything as true, and then you you come out of friction. A lot of friction and weight comes off your shoulders. 
Well, do me a favor, explain the concept of presence. And, and maybe that's an obvious question, but we're hearing that a lot more in leadership development these days. And, and just go a little bit into that, if you would. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really, a, it is what, it's, what it means, right? Is being more present. But how do we become more present, I think, is exactly. the key. Yeah. And that's what our senses are for. We have five senses, um, six if you count our awareness of our body and space. And, and so, and, you know, if you go deeper into meditation, there's, we have up to, I think, 21 senses. But ultimately, the, the main ones, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, feeling, if, if we, um, smelling, and if we, if we stay connected to the senses, the senses are responding to what's happening right now. There's nothing else our senses can respond to. And so using that as the, the, the connective tissue to the present moment, meaning really tuning into what some people are more visual, more auditory, more you know tactile, or whatever it may be. But in every situation that we find ourselves, and these are usually everyday simple situations, such as folding your laundry, right? focus on the color and the texture of, of, of your, of the fabrics. Um, if you're pouring yourself a, a cup of coffee, the smell and the, and the, the temperature and the touch and all of this is, it pulls us out of this past future, uh, mindset where our monkey mind lives and into right now where life is very simple. And even the most difficult tasks that seem overwhelming when we think about the whole lot of it, um, when you narrow down to the task at hand, everything becomes easy and simple and light and fun. Yeah. I think of the leader who's, you know, got too many things on his or her plate and too many things on his or her to-do list. And so just practicing being present with people that you're working with, people that are reporting to you, if you're the top dog and just responding to what they're saying in the moment, rather than thinking, either a year ahead or a week ahead or a day ahead or three seconds ahead. And, and that, to me, that took a little bit of practice, right? To be truly present and not be three seconds ahead thinking, okay, what am I going to say next? So I don't sound stupid. Yeah. And, and that is key. And it does take some practice, but to be able to listen with the highest quality of attention, that already is not just on your side. You're not just no longer filtering what they're saying through a whole myriad of other thoughts but you're actually just holding space for the person to express themselves. So there's a much clear uh, organic connection that's happening there. The other person feels heard and seen in a much deeper way. Cause you can tell when the other person's mind is like drifting or, or judging you or, or whatever it may be. Um, so especially in leadership positions, the ability to stay um, uh, connected to the other person and, and hold space for them. Uh, it works wonders. So much of our communication is, beyond words it's our you know our energy our facial expression i think it's like 80 90 percent of communication yeah. is i've heard it's anywhere from 70 per, 70 yeah. on up yeah and and you know then tone of voice volume um yeah stuff yeah body and to what extent do you think anxiety i that's the best word i can put on it is those feelings of anxiety or discomfort get in the way of being present when we're truly listening to and uh, let me bring it to like romantic partners right like i tell men you know if your spouse or partner is venting to you about what happened at work let's say they had a bad day at work you pause them and say you know i really want to support you how can i best support you do you want me to just listen do you want me to try and fix it or do you need a hug and typically what 
the other person will say is, I just need you to listen. But then we start listening and it's because of our empathy, it's hard for me to listen to you because I care about you. And so my, I'm picking up on your anger, your distress, your anxiety, all that stuff. And then we go back to trying to fix it. Yeah. The transparency is, is definitely a thing. And so the, uh, the, again, coming back to sensations is as you're listening, as you're holding space for the other person, you're going to feel triggered and triggered in all these little ways. And you're going to, uh, experience those triggers as sensations in your body somewhere. They're going to show up in your stomach, there may be knots or back of your neck or, or just a pounding headache or whatever is happening, chest, your, your heart's beating. And, and all of this is, you know, your own stuff. So what's being said is, is pointing to things within us that for one reason or another is, um, is resonating with this and what's being said. And, um, and so, staying focused on those sensations, not reacting to the feeling, because that's what we're reacting to when we react to anything. It's how it makes us feel. It's not the, the person, place, or thing around us that we tend to blame and try to control, but rather the feeling that person, place, or thing evokes in us, we're then reacting to the feeling. So if we can observe the feeling, stay aware of the feeling, the sensation in our body, that breaks the reactive loop and we can stay calm and present with the other person. It does take a little practice, but it, it totally works. And when it pays off. So that's a great segue. You brought up reactivity. And so talk a little bit about reacting versus responding, because I think that's a critical concept. Yeah. And that was super critical in my life, too. Once I understood that there's the onset of a feeling and then where my reaction to the feeling uh, begins is that that's the critical um, moment there, because feelings arise and pass. Uh, thoughts come and go. That's just the nature of life. It's it's always moving and evolving. It's in motion. And I it took me a long time to understand that my experience of a situation was probably 90, 95% my reaction to the feeling about the situation and not the entire experience in and of itself. So once I started working on the reactivity part, I recognized and realized the the feeling itself is they're all very manageable, very small. Ultimately, they come and go and you, you know, this too shall pass. We've all heard that one. Mm -hmm. So if we can uh, stay out of reactivity, meaning staying um, connected to our sensations, observing them in an unbiased way, uh, no longer pushing away unpleasant um, sensations and, and no longer clinging to the pleasant ones. That's the, you know, that's the same side, other side of the coin. Yeah. Uh, then we're uh, we're actually free flowing, really feeling our what we're feeling, feeling our feelings fully is what I say, and that's our natural state. And so it's really just finding back to our natural state. Then we don't create these hiccups of reactivity uh, in our as we're engaging with people, places, and things around us. Because that those moments of reactivity of of constant like uh, resistance. They take us out of uh, clarity. You know, no decision made in reactivity is a good decision. It's it's always clouded. It's always one dimensional. It's always uh, divisive. But rather, you know, seeing things with the feeling what you need to feel. Um, it'll leave behind some some insight into the situation and, and how you should take action. But that's the next important piece. Is not just coming out of reactivity, but to then take action from a from a multi perspective, clear headed place. And that's how we can move through situations and, and create this positive momentum forward. A great explanation. So do me a favor, because it's helpful to me to put this, these 
kind of vague and nebulous ideas into concrete examples. So can you give me concrete examples of you or someone else when you're reacting versus responding? Yeah. So uh, the most basic example I can give is which I do every morning. And I mentioned this in, in our off, off uh, session talk is when I, I don't drink coffee, but I pour myself a glass of water every morning. And I go to the refrigerator dispenser and I put my glass there. And, and the key is to observe, again, the sensations, to hear the water, see the color, the swirls, the bubbles. I'm observing the pace. I'm noticing in that act how busy my mind is today. And the key is to be okay with whatever is. So seeing things as they are. So if I notice my mind is all over the place, is to accept that and be okay with that. And that's what calms it down. The reaction would be is to notice, oh my gosh, my mind is all over the place. I don't want it to be that way. You know, I, it should be calmer. Why am I so, you know, all this whole mental uh, stream of, of comments starts to kick in, but rather to see things as they are. And that's a very small example, um, but it's kind of how we start building that awareness muscle. So that we can hold space, be the container of our thoughts and, and be the container of our feelings. Can we, can we, can you bring it into uh, a relational example? So, I mean, and one of the things that crosses my mind is what were you like 10 or 15 years ago yeah. versus in the present? And what are some of the differences that you've seen either internally, but also relationally? Relation as in relationships? Yeah, as in like your significant romantic relationship. Right. Um, I mean, I used to be Mr. Overthinker in my head. I, I would wake up and when I first started working with uh, energy healers and sound uh, people and all that, they would always say my, my energy is so much in my head. It, it took a lot of work to kind of redistribute that and, and not be so mental. And, and I had started noticing just, just naturally over time, I would have, you know, debates and conversations and I would love to just uh, like analyze things to death. And but it always left me feeling depleted and empty and just like a shell. And it, it was like, I didn't understand why that would be. I just had this great conversation with another great thinker and, and yet, um, or just even friends hanging out, but just all this talk, all this thinking, uh, just led to nothing. <laughs> and, um, and so the, uh, you know, that's, that was the beginning of me realizing the, uh, there had, there had to be a kind of a better way. Well, something wasn't right, but, um, you know, then I, you know, as you mentioned in the example before, especially as guys to be able to listen and was so much more effective <laughs> than trying to fix things or, or, you know, which is our tendency to, to try to be pragmatic and, and come up with solutions. And that just would escalate things. So you learn that way naturally as well. <laughs> you don't have to take a course in meditation to, to learn that. Um, so, you know, we all mature. And I think, um, especially in, in work, if you're a leadership position and, and you're kind of mentoring others, um, being able to uh, stay present and hold space for what they're looking to express, that showed itself to be very effective, um, magically almost. When you first start like just holding space for someone and, and, and it, it turns out really well and you didn't really say anything, you start wondering, wow, what's going on here? <laughs> but once you start to understand really the, the dynamic of 
thoughts and feelings and energy needing to come out and express themselves and you just being a mirror for the other person ultimately to hear themselves, to experience themselves so that they can release and, and kind of regain balance. That's really our, our primary social purpose. And, uh, and if we reflect on ourselves, we need that too. That's basically what, what good friends are for is they're good listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for the explanation. Um, one of the things we talked about, this was, I guess, our first conversation is that you offer a Vipassana light retreat. And I thought your idea was fascinating. So tell me a little bit about that, because I think you're trying to take meditation and make it palatable or workable or manageable. Yeah. So those are the 10 day silent retreats that we may have heard about. And you just sit in meditation all day long and it's intense and Mm -hmm. it's not for everyone, at least initially. And so I, you know, I've been doing these, like you said, since 2015 and, and whenever I wanted to bring people along, you also spend a lot of time in, you know, silence. And so there were certain things that people were afraid of that they said, nah, it's not for me. I can't be quiet or sit still for that long and all that. So um, when you actually do it, you realize those are not really challenges, but there should be an opportunity to work your way up to that. And so that's incorporated into my um, mindfulness retreats where we have, you know, mornings are spent in noble silence. And, and once you just do like a morning, you realize, oh, that wasn't that bad. That wasn't that easy. Like starting small, right? And in fact, that's the big takeaway. When people uh, leave the retreats, the one thing they all say is like, I can't wait to instigate uh, morning silence when I get back to my regular life. And um, cause there's such beauty and stillness and, and such, you know, um, such depth in, in our own being. So, um, it's, it's that it's, you know, starting with a few sessions of meditation and then kind of working your way up. It's just like going to the gym, uh, right, you know, bench press 250 right from the get go, you, you work your way up. So yeah. that's how I design my retreats. Yeah. I, I just think it's a great idea. And, uh, for those who don't know, there's there's a dose-related effect of meditation or mindfulness on, depending on how you define those two, on our well-being. So in other words, the more we do it, the more benefits we get. And they found that you know doing it 20 minutes a day, five days a week, as a lot of the research studies have done, works really well for us. An amazing list of positive benefits from that. But then to go next level and to go to a retreat and spend one, two, three days practicing mindfulness even more benefits in a 10 day, even more so. And so I, I just think that's interesting how we can take, you know, states and make them traits. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, it's, it's what we spend our time on. The wonderful thing I find about meditation is that you literally have the more you invest in it, the more comes back. It's like the, a direct relationship between how much you invest yourself and how much you benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me about one or two of the exercises that you do at retreats, because I'm curious, you know, kind of getting down to brass tacks. Yeah. So the two forms of meditation I focus on are, I call them thought awareness and body awareness, which again, relates to our thoughts and then our feelings and developing our awareness muscle around our thoughts and our feelings is key to no longer depending on the external world for how you feel, because that's how our life turns into a roller coaster. When everything that happens around us can, has that power over us of, of making us sad, making us happy and anxious or um, 
you know, in both positive and negative ways, we're, we're, we're kind of uh, too attached to everything that happens. And as a result, we then try to steer and control what happens to try and control and steer how we feel. But that's a, that's a limited way of living. Well, yeah, and we're also really bad at emotional prognostication. So we, we don't really know what will make us feel a certain way in the future, but we think yeah. we do. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I keep running up against in my mind as you're talking is this idea of self-awareness. And the vast majority of us will self-report, oh, yes, I'm highly self-aware. And it's like 95% of us. But the research shows that it's only about 12 to 15% of people that are actually self-aware which means there's this huge delta or gap between those people that are aware versus those that think they're aware. And that's a huge problem. What are your thoughts on that? It is tricky um, because we only have ourselves to compare ourselves to, Mm -hmm. right? There's no other way. And and so that is one of the challenges. Um, But I think it also, that's the quality that is your confidence in yourself, your, your trust in yourself. These, these are things that have no comparison. Your inner truth um, starts to emerge that doesn't require validation of others. In fact, that wants others to have their inner truth. You, so you come out of the, the mental lens and the constant uh, validation and comparing and analyzing and predicting. And that's where all fear and, and expectations and all of that stuff lies. And um, you come out of all of that, you just start to come more into your own um, and into your body. And, uh, you know, the mind is a wonderful tool, uh, but it should be a tool and, and not controlling you. <laughs> you use it when, when it's appropriate, but uh, we kind of, we become a very head heavy uh, society and, uh, and, and knowledge is kind of uh, king and, and above all else, but we really need to kind of tune back into um, our intuition, our ability to feel the information that comes through in our feelings. Um, there, there's, uh, there's so many things that are beyond just uh, you know thought. Thought is stale. I mean, the moment you believe something, you kind of take a mental snapshot of it and, and think it's like that forever. But everything is evolving, changing. You talked about relationships, how to keep relationships fre- fresh. It's, well... Um, notice the detail in the other person. There's, they're constantly evolving. We see it when we kind of see somebody we haven't seen in a while or their kids or something. And then suddenly a year goes by or two years and we meet them again and they look different. Like they literally look different. Um, so, um, on the day to day, we can, we can stay connected to that, that life force, that aliveness in, in others. Um, there's, there's ways to do that, but really connecting through our senses again, that, that keeps us in tune with. The aliveness in us, in us all. Yeah, and thank you for that. And one of the big issues that I see with a lot of men that I work with, maybe every man that I work with, is this idea of over-identifying with the thinker. So that's how we're socialized. That's how we're, we're rewarded growing up. You know, you get an A on the paper, or you know, you get praised by your boss because you come up with a good idea, and we think that that's all we are. And so often, I'm trying to get men to get out of their head and tune in or pay attention to what's going on in their body to figure out what they're feeling. So let's say I'm a typical man who over-identifies with the thinker, the thoughts in my head, and I see no value in feeling. What, what do you say to an individual like that? Hmm. 
And that's really how I grew up as well, right? My, my dad's generation, those who imprinted on us, they, they, they their concept of feelings was like, you don't talk about it. You don't express your emotions and all that. Squash so, yeah. <laughs> no so that was a, I know that was a process for me too, is to really start feeling. Um, but I think if it's uh, an approach from the perspective of where do you feel the sensation it kind of bypasses this judgment of, of like, oh, emotions, it's all wishy-washy and, and, and all that. But actually, you no, know, you're feeling a stinging in your stomach or the knot or butterflies. I mean, we all have these, you know, um, sensations that are just kind of very neutral in, in, in terms of talking about it. Yeah, I feel it here. I feel it there. I've yet to encounter anyone that I've worked with who wasn't able to locate where they felt triggered and be able to examine that and explore that. And it kind of uh, takes a route where you, you don't get into this realm of, oh, I'm talking about my feelings. No, you're observing sensations, which keeps it very, very mm. clean. Mm. Gotcha. I like that. And so one of the biggest things that I see in a number of clients is repetitive, intrusive thoughts, You know, especially like Right when I'm right, right when I'm going to bed, or you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, you know, you you turn everything off, you put your head down on the pillow, and then your mind lights up, you know, and the circus kicks into high gear. How do you help people with those repetitive, intrusive, unwanted thoughts? Hmm. There's a couple of different ways. One is you could just uh, focus on something as basic as your breath and notice how the mind comes in and pulls your attention away again and just keep noticing keep noticing that puts you to sleep very quickly because you're again not in resistance to it you're just noticing oh here comes a thought and you kind of get lost in it and then you come back from that and you just do that a few times and it just naturally has a calming effect because you're you're not fighting the thoughts uh, and the other thing is to, uh, again, notice where you're feeling um, triggered by these thoughts. So as more as your awareness muscle grows, the more sensitive you become of like this feeling, this thought is creating this feeling. And uh, if you can stay focused on the feeling, it takes the, the attention away from the head, the thoughts, and into the body and the sensations. And then that, again, calms the mind down because you're, you're not fueling it with your resistance to it with your with your uh, judgment of those thoughts so and to what extent do you make a distinction between like meditation on the cushion and then the way you go through your daily life awesome question and i think most people struggle with um creating this you know extra chore essentially for the day have to make time for this now and my my it's already packed how am i going to do this and if you're not consistent with it then you get down on yourself i mean it's this whole thing and ultimately meditation is a state of being that you bring to a situation to your everyday activities it helps of course to sit in in stillness in the morning especially and and kind of like going to the gym but the beautiful thing is Jim, you, once you leave, you're, you're gone, you're out of it, and there's, you're not lifting weights anymore. But with mindfulness and meditation, you can continue to practice all day long. Every situation, there's an opportunity to practice that awareness muscle. So if you're waiting at the elevator, um, there's a few seconds there to focus in on your breath. 
and uh, just notice what's, what's no, keep noticing. As long as we're noticing, oh, I'm noticing my thoughts. I'm noticing my feelings. That noticing is the awareness. That is a disidentification with those thoughts and feelings. And as long as we stay on the side of awareness, we're in a good place. Those thoughts and feelings can't really get to us. They, they mm-hmm. don't own us. Right? So uh, before an important call or a meeting, you know, take a few seconds there. Somebody's late to a meeting. Instead of being upset about them, uh, just use this unbelievable golden opportunity for a couple minutes of stillness and going within and or just looking around and noticing the the decor and the technology and sh- finding gratitude in that. I mean, you can turn every situation into just this amazing experience ultimately. Yeah, great answer. I, I mean, I remember when I was introduced to meditation, I think I was 1920 in Scotland, I was studying abroad and took a course in Zen Buddhist meditation. And it made me realize, holy shit, like I'm not even breathing deeply throughout the day. And so for years, and even now, I would remind myself, like, just take a deep breath. And so even like is something as simple as a breath can be a choice or a moment to tune into the present moment. That's right. Yeah. The breath is this wonderful tool. It's universal. It's, there's no dogma, right? It's, it's always present. <laughs> it can be both autonomous on its own, but we also can use it. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, even in sports, uh, we, I play a lot of tennis. And after, uh, say I miss a ball <laughs> and I'm walking back to the baseline, it's just that a few seconds of just focusing, refocusing on my breath keeps me grounded, keeps me focused on the next task and, and no longer lingering on, on what just happened. And, um, and my, you know, performance improved dramatically just, just from that little trick. So what's the difference pre and post meditation in your life in terms of the inner critic versus self-compassion when you miss a shot in tennis. Oh, so, ha. I mean, it's a, it's a huge difference. You, you just don't linger, right? It's the same thing as somebody cutting you off in traffic and in your, you know, the tendency is to cuss at them and how dare they be on the road. What's going on with them? You look over and you honk, whatever it is. This is all reactivity to something that's already over. It's already in the past, yet we amplify it with our reaction to it. And the, the path of least resistance ultimately is to you know, swerve to avoid any collision and get back on track and keep going with not another thought of what's in the rearview mirror. Um, yet we tend to extend all of that. We get to work. We tell you people, you know, you wouldn't believe what happened. And it's just all of this. And in the meantime, we're not just amplifying the situation that's already gone. We're, we're missing out on life in the meantime of all the, the aliveness of the opportunities of, of the connection, um, that's possible in the meantime. So same thing in sports. It's just no longer lingering on what's already happened, but refocusing coming back into your body and getting ready for the next shot. And we just need a few seconds here and there to, to ground ourselves to the, like finding the path of least resistance, which is also the path of most uh, pro- you know, efficient, productive, um, forward-looking, solution-oriented, uh, curious, open-minded. All of this energy exists in, in this space when we're, when we're, uh, when we're present. And when we're like forward leaning as opposed to lingering and reacting to stewing and what's, what's already gone. 
Yeah, your example of you know being on the freeway and getting cut off makes me think of the Buddhist notion of two darts. Are you familiar with that? No, please tell. So it's it first dart is pain, second dart is suffering. So pain is inevitable in life. We are going to experience pain. That's just a given. And then the second dart is how long do you suffer once you've received that pain? And we have no control over the first dart, but we can control the second dart in terms of length of time. And so in your example, you know, first pain, first dart is pain. The guy cuts you off, comes close to your car. That brings that fight, flight, freeze effect or that fight, flight, freeze response up. And that's, that's going to happen for most people. That's just a given. And then the question is, how quickly can you let it go? How quickly can you, you know, wish kind thoughts or loving kindness upon that driver? How quickly can you reinterpret the, that driver's actions in a positive light so that you can just let it go? Yeah. I love that analogy. You know what? When I remember hearing initially this idea of, well, suffering, you know, pain is inevitable and, and, and ultimately also life is suffering. But, um, and I never liked that. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I, I don't want to, you know, agree to that. It's life shouldn't be pain. I think the, the realization is, uh, just like you said, of course, there's the initial event, which can be a myriad of things. And then it's our exaggeration, amplification, reaction to that event that makes it so much bigger. And that's really, that was key for me is to recognize that, yeah, it's unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. Most things, um, you know, that, that trigger us, it's not great. Of course not. But when we don't react to the feeling, nothing is really that big to upset us in a big way. Uh, in most things, all these little things that we deal all day long are, you know, minute. And if uh, we come out of reactivity to them, then, um, uh, you know, something else opens up. Right? Yeah. And it also makes me think of the idea that emotions are contagious. And so in your example, you know, you get really pissed off because the guy cuts you off on the freeway and you take that anger out on the drivers on the freeway. And then you take it in with you to work in the beginning of your work day. And all you're doing is spreading that negative energy. And, and I think, you know, once I realized that I really worked harder to let it go more quickly, to stay more calm, to spread more positive emotion, than negative emotion. That's beautiful. Um, you know, it really starts to shine a light on our responsibility <laughs> that we our have. Interdependence. Right. And we really, you know, happiness is 100% within our reach. And we just have to start taking responsibility for it and not seeing others as, as uh, band-aids or reasons to be unhappy and all that. And um, so it's not only just within our reach, but it's our responsibility. It's the way we give back to life, to others, to the world around us. That's, that's our contribution. Ultimately, we're energetic beings and we're contributing an energy wherever we go. And when you can show up even in difficult situations and maintain that frequency of goodwill and compassion towards yourself as much as towards mm. others, right? Then, uh, which everything... I think is harder for most people. Yes. Yeah. That we are our own worst critic, of course, and our relationship with self is what we, what we, uh, primarily our, our journey is about. Um, so can you go into some of the benefits of meditation? Oh yeah. <laughs> for the uninitiated. 
Yeah. There's so many benefits. They're subtle though. They kind of creep up on you. And then you realize, oh, I'm no longer reacting to the, the seatbelt sound in the car or the plane. You know, it's not annoying any longer. It's just the sound. And uh, the plane flying overhead that used to interrupt you on your phone calls. And now you just kind of pause, let it pass, and then resume. It's the path of least resistance. And, and you feel empowered by that. Uh, other things is the sense of time fades into the background. When we're always chasing the next thing, and it feels like we can never get it done because we can't. We're always living through the mind, projecting something known into the next unknown moment to try and know it, <laughs> to try and control it, steer and be in control of it. And that just keeps us chasing. And then um, as a result, we feel like we're always behind and we're, we're, there's never enough time to get it all done. And so that sense of time starts to fade into the background. And with it, this, this sense of beginnings and endings loses its charge. Uh, the, the fear of death uh, loses its charge, fear of the unknown of the future and on all of this uh, anxiety that, that comes from living through the, the mental lens where you're, we're always having to know things to be at peace with them. But knowledge is fickle. The monkey mind jumps around all day long. So even if you know something one moment, it, it just changes and you start doubting and whatever then the next so all of this noise, you, when that subsides, you find a, a peace and a calm. You know that nothing, no situation is bigger than you. If you can stay in your awareness of the situation and you become the container of what's happening, of life unfolding, you become a participant in life unfolding. You see it from many more perspectives and angles. So you can be a, a solution person, not a problem person and um, you come out of this victim mentality and you just start to see really the the miracle of life that you're you spend more time in gratitude even the tiniest things and i sit and have my morning cereal and how did that get on my spoon for all the pieces that had to come together <laughs> for for me to be able to put this in my mouth now is just amazing so that just keeps you um in a more positive place, which has direct impact, as we know, on our health, our mental health, or yeah. uh, how we treat others. I mean, just everything is how we see life. Yeah. Less inflammation in the body, more frequent positive emotions, less anger, less stress, um, faster healing, even faster physical healing, which is insane. Sure. And yeah. I, I think that's all because it reduces the inflammation. Yeah. It, relax, it, it kicks that parasympathetic nervous system, the relaxation response into gear and then your body has a chance to sh shunt resources to places where it needs healing that's right that's right so reactivity isn't just mental energy isn't just mental reactive energy it is inflammation physical mm -hmm. inflammation um so yeah that's a great point yeah i like your point about time scarcity versus time abundance and i i totally can get behind that because I think so many of us go through life with this time scarcity mentality. So we are always rushing and we never feel like we have enough time and we're always annoyed because we don't have enough time. Um, and so I think moving that, making a conscious decision to move to more, I've got plenty of time. Yeah. And, 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 and I think mindfulness helps with that. Absolutely. And the trick is really whenever we feel overwhelmed by any thoughts about something that we have to do, some situation, a big trip that we have to take or a project that we're on, if we can break break that down into individual smaller steps that are less overwhelming. So 
ultimately we're only able to do whatever task we're currently doing and, and to focus on that is what kind of scales it down to something much more manageable and, and easy because we can only do so much right now. <laughs> so uh, if we break down a, a big task into small steps, just scale it back to where it feels easy, light, and dare I say fun, um, then even these big things um, can, can turn into very manageable, you know, fun journeys of, of uh, expansion and discovery and part magic, part planning, right? To, to have an idea and, and, and a goal, but to be open to how we get there. Um, yeah. That's really the, the sweet spot. When, and I think of, you know, there's a lot of negative emotions that are future negative orientation. So anxiety, worry, stress, dread, those are all our mind trying to take us to a negative future, a potential negative future, which creates those emotions. And so one of the solutions to that is just bring your attention back to your breath over and over and over, because that present moment is the most pleasant, least painful place to be. Yeah. And same That's, thing for the negative past too, right? That sadness, depression, rumination, um, grief, regret, guilt, shame. And you can pull yourself out of that with practice by just coming back to the present moment by focusing on one of your five senses. That's it. Yeah. And it is ultimately very simple. It does take practice. It does. It's well, it's dose related. And I, that, that idea alone was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like the more I do it, the more benefits I get, but I got to put the work in. Yeah. And it's only because we've, you know, indirectly we've done the work to create our monkey mind to be really busy. It's because we're constantly being asked to react to things that we live in society is always looking to elicit some type of right or wrong response from us, some judgment. And this is for you against me, believe those us, not those guys. And all this keeps us lodged in our head. So we've been training that muscle, the noise muscle, if you will, for decades. Um, so we can't expect the, the, the presence muscle to kind of just, take over immediately. We just have to start small and, and work our way up. Yeah. And then notice the subtle changes because those changes at first, I think are subtle. Yeah. Um, so in wrapping up, Chris, what should I have asked you that I didn't? What oh I my gosh. Out? Well, I just love the organic unfolding of every conversation. Um, I think we hit some of the, the key part, I think, uh, was to recognize that meditation is a state. It's not necessarily uh, the separate standalone activity that you engage in, and then you go live the rest of your day, but really bring those mindfulness principles into your day. They're all opportunities. They're all, um, life is a teacher. It's, it's a mirror. We're experiencing ourselves ultimately. And the lessons will be repeated until we get the lessons. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So the sooner we start looking, you know, the, create this mindset of looking for the lesson, I was like, huh, what is this teaching me about myself? Then, then we're getting in a good, good collaborative, co-creative place. And so perhaps most importantly, where can people get a hold of you? Oh, you can find me online at my website, sirak.com. That's C-I-R-A-K.com. And everywhere on social media at Chris Sirak. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. 
Thank you, Dr. John. It was so wonderful. I, I feel like we're mirror images of each other. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a little <laughs> bit of a similar image there. Um, so that is it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. If you like this episode, please be sure to like, rate, review, and share. And if you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thanks so much. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 